Welcome to No Filter, everybody. I'm Anna Kasparian. No, I'm not. I am Brett Ehrlich in for Anna Kasparian. She had the bright idea of going on vacation. So I'm filling in for her. Hopefully, I do an okay job in your mind. Either way, I want you to go right now to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and rate this five stars. It helps this podcast get discovered. Also, while you're at it, why don't you watch Happy Half Hour, subscribe to that podcast, and The Damage Report, which I also work on, and all the TYT podcasts while you're at it. Uh, Today on the show, we have a lot of amazing stuff for you, starting with why people don't vote in America, uh, a couple updates on early voting when it comes to the midterms, and also my personal favorite, terrible ads from this election cycle. So we have a lot to get into. Let's get into it right now on No Filter. You know what I've seen a lot of recently? Good news about early voting. The spirit of democracy is possessing people all over the country like some kind of benevolent demon. A huge turnout so far. We've already seen 108,000 people voting so far in Clark County. That is the highest first day turnout ever for a midterm election. Record turnout for early voting in Gwinnett County. Election officials tell us so far early voting has surpassed the level we saw for the 2016 presidential election. That's awesome, right? You may have seen it too. And it may have you feeling optimistic about this blue wave that's supposed to hit and wash Republicans out of control of Congress, providing a check against Trump's tragic environmental, social, and international agendas. Things are gonna be so great that magically, even when you open up a box of Lucky Charms, you'll be like, oh my God, it's all marshmallows. This is heaven, right? But when you see news reports with numbers like this, I want you to remember two key things. First, Just because there's record voting doesn't mean a blue wave is 100% gonna happen. Even 50% gonna happen, not guaranteed. And don't take it from me, just listen to MSNBC's resident killjoy, Chris Jansing. All of this talk of a blue wave, well, it's been Republicans who have come out the most in this early voting. In most states, it's not even particularly close. In Florida, Republicans are outpacing Democrats by six points. In Georgia, nine points. In Texas, where the president campaigned for Ted Cruz yesterday, 10 points. In Arizona, where Martha McSally and Kirsten Cinema are in a dead heat, the early vote favors Republicans by 11%. In Indiana, the lead is 12 points. In Montana, where Matt Rosendale is trying to beat the incumbent, Democratic Senator John Tester, it's a 17-point advantage for Republicans. Damn it, Jansing. But what about Tennessee? Because in Tennessee, my girl Taylor Swift, she sparked this whole record surge in voter participation and registration after suggesting that people vote Democrat. There's gotta be hope all the way out in Tennessee, right? And in Tennessee, the number of Republican early voters, are you ready? 33 points higher than the Democrats. You suck, Taylor. I don't blame people, your last album wasn't that good. Anyway, so you can't rest on forecasts of a blue wave. You have to follow through with voting and get on Facebook and Instagram and tell all your friends in those key battleground states that it's more important than ever that their vote be counted. But another thing that should strike you when you see this uptick in voting that's at record levels, it's that even still, not a lot of Americans vote. Pew Research put voter turnout at 55.7% of all voting age individuals. Now, how does that compare with other developed nations? Well, looking at the most recent nationwide election in each OEC or developed nation, the US placed 26th out of 32. So why don't we vote in America? Let's examine and answer that question and provide some possible solutions in a segment called Here's Why. So here's why Americans don't vote. Reason number one, 
They're not registered. According to Pew, U.S. turnout in 2016 was 86.8% of registered voters. Now that puts us at fourth highest among developed countries. But again, only 55.7% of people old enough to vote actually voted. That 30 point gap is people who aren't registered. Now some are not eligible, but every year, Vox reports that more commonly, many people just miss the deadline for registering. And who can blame them? The deadline to register is different in pretty much every state. Some states like Wyoming let you register in person on election day. In North Dakota, you don't have to register at all. In Vermont and Washington, you can register online. But if you're in Texas, sorry, that's not possible. You can only register in person or by mail. Two years ago, Oregon automatically started registering everyone who had a transaction with the DMV. Now this added 225,000 registered voters to its rolls. But that disproportionately affects only people with enough money to own a car. So one proposed solution is to take the lead from countries like Sweden and Germany, who automatically register everybody to vote and have higher turnout than we do. Another reason people don't vote is because they think their vote doesn't matter. Many, like 31-year-old Megan Davis of Rhode Island, who told NPR, people who suck are still in office, so it doesn't make a difference. I get it, Megan, I totally understand. And sometimes it has to do with geography. In the deep red South or in solidly blue states like New York, people think, hey, the results are pretty much a lock. Everyone here is like me, so who cares if I show up or not? Low turnout may also hinge on how our politicians are elected. Most developed countries with higher turnout have proportional representation, which essentially means that if their party gets 55% of the vote, they get 55% of the seats in Congress. If you get 58% of the vote, you get 58% of the seats and so on. The margin of victory in those countries counts, so your vote could make a difference. Here in America, we vote for a single representative from our personal district. If they get 51% or 85% of the vote, the result's still gonna be the same, so why show up? Also, and kind of because of this system, a lot of our districts are drawn to ensure that the same party wins every time, and it can get really, really frustrating. We're probably not gonna change to a proportional representation system, but we can fight gerrymandering by letting neutral parties draw the districts. Another top reason Americans give for not voting is that we make it hard to vote in this country. 34 states have laws requiring voters to show some form of identification at the polls, all of which are in force in 2018. Republicans say these laws combat voter fraud, but a recent investigation of voter impersonation found only 31 credible incidents out of 1 billion ballots cast. That's 31 in a billion. And voter ID laws disproportionately target people who tend to vote Democrat. We need to overturn these laws or elect judges who will strike them down on constitutional grounds. And perhaps the most frustrating reason people don't vote is that they're too busy, they say, because we vote on frickin' Tuesday. But there's a very good reason for that. I I'm sorry, what I meant to say is there was a very good reason for that 150 years ago. Back then, we were largely an agrarian society. There was spring planting and the fall harvest, so November it was. So why Tuesday? Religion. As a largely Christian country, most Americans went to church on Sunday, and Congress had to factor in travel time. People drove these. Yeah, you heard that right. We vote on a Tuesday because in 1845, religious farmers rode in horse-drawn carriages. So today, in a world where kids don't know what a Blu-ray is, 
We vote based on the religious behavior and traffic practicalities of a time 50 years before the setting of cowboy video game Red Dead Redemption 2. And just a little ridiculous detail about which Tuesday in November we vote on. Congress established our voting day as the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. The first Tuesday after the first Monday, who describes dates like that? Oh, Ken, uh, when do you wanna get lunch? Oh, how about the first Monday after the first Tuesday in July? Shut up, Ken, I'm never eating with you. Never gonna eat lunch again, you, Ken's an idiot. Democrats in Congress uh, tried to change the voting system with the Weekend Voting Act, but Republicans in Congress have blocked it. We could make Tuesday a voting holiday because if you think about it, one day is actually less than the two days they figured it would take to ride to polls in 1845. But in the meantime, you have to vote and encourage everyone you know to vote. If you wanna vote early, you go to vote.org slash early dash voting dash calendar. That will tell you how you can vote early so you don't have to be inconvenienced by this Tuesday vote day. Unless of course, you live in Alabama, Connecticut, Kentucky, Michigan, New Hampshire, Oregon, Pennsylvania, or Rhode Island, where there is no early voting. Because again, we make it impossible to vote in this country. And don't go away, unless it is to the polls right now. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Anna's still gone. It's still me, a fact for which I apologize deeply and beg your forgiveness. Today is October 29th, which means election day is just over a week away. So let's take a moment to appreciate one of the most vital elements of our electoral process, the campaign ad. Now, some ads are thoroughly hateful and racist, like the robocalls calls that are, are targeting Andrew Gillum, the next governor of Florida, and I don't wanna dignify them by playing them for you. They are truly terrible. This part of the show focuses on another kind of terrible ad, the ones that are sucky, cringeworthy, and so bad that the only way to handle them is to laugh either with them or at them, regardless of what side of the aisle they came from. So first, let's start on the left, with Sherrod Brown, Democratic Senator from Ohio. I'm Sherrod Brown, this is Franklin. Six years ago, we got a letter about something we needed to address. Okay, for those of you listening to the podcast, Franklin is a dog, so we're off to a good start. Can't wait to see where we go from here. Across Ohio and nationwide, tainted Chinese dog treats were poisoning and killing pets. Thousands of dogs were getting sick. We got to work to stop it. Holy crap, 15 seconds into the commercial and dogs are already dying. Luckily, we have a guy like Sherrod Brown. And I like this ad because it sets him up as the guy who saved your pets. And it kind of sets up his opponent as a guy who would just kind of let your pets die. Maybe that's why he's got a 16 point lead in the polls because Jim Renacci is a puppy killer. Dogs aren't the only ones uh, to appear as props in an uh, ad in this cycle. Georgia gubernatorial candidate Brian Kemp loves guns so much he uses them to threaten horny teenagers. I'm Brian Kemp. This is Jake, young man interested in one of my daughters. Yes, sir. And two things if you're gonna date one of my daughters. Respect. And? A healthy appreciation for the Second Amendment, sir. We're gonna get along just fine. For those of you listening to the podcast once again, uh, Brian Kemp is essentially polishing a double-barrel shotgun is perched on his peninsular region. This is one of dozens of guns that show up throughout the ad, and at the end, he closes the break on the shotgun, pointing it at this child whom he is absolutely implying he will shoot. Some people pointed out how weird it is that 
He made this ad in the same year as the Parkland shooting, and those people are right. He is a garbage man who, I should add, is currently Georgia's Secretary of State and being sued for purging 700,000 legitimate voters from the voter rolls as he runs for governor of that state. He's a right Georgia peach. Another politician who embraced Trumpism during the primaries is West Virginia's Don Blankenship, who doesn't know what the adjective form of China is. By the way, it's Chinese. Swamp Captain Mitch McConnell has created millions of jobs for China people. While doing so, Mitch has gotten rich. In fact, his China family has given him tens of millions of dollars. Mitch's swamp people are now running false negative ads against me. They are also childishly calling me despicable and mentally ill. <laughs> All right, calling you despicable is one thing, but mentally ill, that's just too far. That said, are you okay? Some people are just not good on camera, and Don is absolutely one of those people. He lost his primary, but he did win the award for awkwardest West Virginia campaign ad since Joe Manchin got a haircut in his kitchen. For more than 20 years, Joe Manchin has gotten his hair cut by the same barber, his wife, Gail. I'm Joe Manchin. I sponsor this ad because a penny saved is a penny earned. I also get my hair cut in my kitchen where meals are prepared. Yum. Think about it, West Virginia. Vote Joe Manchin. Oh, God. Mm. That's on my mouth right now. Next up, Virginia congressional hopeful Dan Helmer. Pay close attention and see if you can tell whether he's kind of into the movie Top Gun using the logo from Top Gun to inspire the graphic sequence in his advertisement. The ad features his potential constituents more or less reenacting a scene from the film, but instead of Kelly McGillis, they're serenading Republican incumbent Barbara Comstock. That you can't get her to hold a town hall. Town hall? Do you want better than that? We've lost that love and feeling. No, Dan. Never hold town halls anymore with constituents. You're trying hard not to show it, but Barbara, Barbara, you know it. You've lost that centrist feeling. How does everybody know all the words? <laughs> that community's tight. Elmer lost his primary, but I do love him dearly. It was a real dumpster fire. Speaking of dumpster fires, here's Richard Painter with his ad called Dumpster Fire. Some people see a dumpster fire and do nothing but watch the spectacle. Some are too scared to face the danger, or they think it will benefit them if they just let it keep on burning. What does that make me? Because I never want this commercial to end. <laughs> Uh, usually, I say take money out of politics, but in this case, I think we should put more money in politics so I can see what this guy does with a bigger effects budget. Imagine all the metaphors he can take way too literally. Washington is also like a shark tank, but we need to kick the hornet's nest and... Oh, God, the bees! Oh, the bees, they're everywhere! Luckily, my policies are the bomb! Speaking of burning sensations, have you heard of Colorado Democrat Levi Tilleman? I hate calling him out because he means well. In this ad, he wants to share an idea he thinks will help protect students and teachers. Just watch. Empower schools and teachers with non-lethal self-defense tools like this can of pepper spray. Trust me, this will stop anyone in their tracks. It's incredibly painful, and now I just can't see anything. 
For less than $1 per person in the U.S., we can have a secured canister of pepper spray in every classroom in America. I feel so bad because his heart's obviously in the right place. Too bad his head is covered in pepper spray. <laughs> Congressional candidates don't have the biggest campaign staff, but who at what point thought that this was a good idea? And then dunk your head in, what is that? I, I can't tell, it's, it looks like a bunch of Windex? That's gonna be the reason why you can't see anything. Poor guy, he also lost, but he's fighting the good fight to give back to the community. And I'll leave you with this. I will leave you with this one fact. Open Secrets reports that $1.3 billion was spent on House races this cycle and $825 million was spent on Senate races this cycle, bringing the total spending to $2.178 billion. As these videos prove, not all of it was well spent, except for Pepper Spray Guy, worth every penny. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. We don't have a lot of time left in the show, and usually this is a time when Anna talks about some of her favorite things from the last seven days. But you know what? I have favorite things, too. I have feelings, despite how I act in relationships. And I'd like to express them right now. It's time for my favorite things. My favorite thing about this tweet from The Daily Caller, founded by Tucker Carlson, by the way, is its selective use of quotation marks. They tweeted, on today's podcast, Derek Houtner discusses, air quotes, caravan, end quote, of aliens seeking to invade the U.S. Why would you put the quotes around caravan, implying that that is the term you're using figuratively and nothing else? Why not put the air quotes around invade? Have you seen a real invasion? Of course you have. Later on in your tweet, you mentioned World War II. You know what invasions look like. When we invaded Omaha Beach, we had soldiers and guns and stuff, amphibious vehicle, I don't know, whatever else was in that scene in Saving Private Ryan. Have you seen these literal invaders, as you call them, in this figurative caravan? They have, like, strollers. But what kind of crazy munitions are these invaders carrying inside these evil strolling devices? Let's say, oh, no, it's just babies. It's just babies in there, they have babies. Those are crappy invaders, Daily Caller. Caravan, by the way, is defined as a company of travelers on a journey through desert or hostile regions. So the caravan is the only thing in this sentence that should not be in air quotes. That's literally what's happening here. They're in a literal caravan. Honestly, I hope you meant to put the air quotes around alien because they're not literally aliens. They're like how you like to call them illegal aliens. Or are they? Maybe that's what you mean. The only way I could feasibly understand this is if you're not talking about the caravan of refugees fleeing violence in their Central American homelands, you're talking about actual space aliens coming to Earth in a figurative caravan because they're moving interdimensionally where there are no, quote, deserts or regions. Well done, Daily Caller. That's probably what the ha what's happening. My favorite thing about Trump is how he gets on a plane. This weekend, he walked up the stairs carrying an umbrella then he gets to the door and he's like, oh, this is too big to get in the door. Maybe I should, uh, well, obviously I just leave the umbrella outside. That's how humans do things. Man of the people right there. You guys are so right. He's so down to earth because of the way he can't use an umbrella. I can't with this guy. My favorite statues are ones that don't look anything like the person that they're a statue of. In Buffalo, New York, they recently unveiled a statue of Martin Luther King that doesn't look anything like 
Martin Luther King, everyone in this situation means well. That's what my favorite thing is about it. So no one's really to blame for all this. You got well-meaning organizers who just want a good statue to honor Martin Luther King. The sculptor is so honored to get the bid to make the statue that looks like Martin Luther King. And he works for hours and days and months to deliver something worthy of Martin Luther King. And then they unveil the statue and it's just not Martin Luther King. This statue joins others, like the statue of not Lucille Ball, the statue of not Cristiano Ronaldo, <laughs> and who could forget Demon Spaghetti Oscar Wilde. What happened to him? Not even Oscar Wilde would find that funny. And finally, the Jamal Khashoggi murder and cover-up is a very serious issue. Trump was willfully negligent in initially humoring the Saudis' obviously BS response, blatantly choosing business interests and personal relationships over right and wrong. But eventually, it became crystal clear that the Saudis had indeed murdered Khashoggi in the consulate and that the murder was premeditated. My favorite part about Trump's eventual response is how he worded it. Bad deal, should have never been thought of. Somebody really messed up and they had the worst cover-up ever. You know you got a bad cover-up when Donald Trump tells you that it's the worst cover-up he's ever seen. That's uh, all the time we have for the show today. Thank you so much for watching or listening. Anna will be back next week. And special thanks to the people who make the show possible. Jesus Godoy, Skip Velacco, Bart Kyle, Edwin Umania, uh, Craig Lowry, Dan Evans as he moves on to a new job on the main show at the Young Turks, Sophie Sai as she moves into his vacated job at the Young Turks, also, Anna for having faith in me to deliver, hopefully well enough for her standards. Uh, also, Arthur Aguirre, uh, Cassie Hanks, and for you for watching, go rate the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Give us five stars, and we'll see you next time on No Filter.